Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast, where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people who are implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. In today's episode, we're joined by Susan Barrett and Dr. Kimberly Yannick to talk about stress, specifically the stress that so many adults in education feel right now. During our conversation, the three of us share our love-hate relationship with self-care strategies. We love them, of course, for the way that they give us coping mechanisms when our stress gets high. But we also sort of hate the way that self-care is so often the primary solution whenever someone talks about resolving stressful situations. In this episode, Susan and Kim both agree that self-care is necessary. It's important. And... It's equally critical for us all to take a long, hard look at the way that our systems and structures actually sustain our stress in the first place. They won't just talk about it either. In this episode, they give us practical ways that we can all start to address systems change head on. And then at the end of this episode, please stick around for our newest segment that we call Extra Instruction. We think you're really going to like it. Now for some proper introductions. Susan Barrett is a director at the Center for Social Behavior Support at Old Dominion University and a technical assistance director with the Center on Positive Behavioral Interventions and Supports. She also co-leads the development for the Interconnected Systems Framework, which is basically a mental health and PBIS expansion effort. And Dr. Kimberly Yannick joins us too. Kimberly is also listen to this. She's also a co-director for the Center for Social Behavior Support at Old Dominion, and and she's also a technical assistance director with the Center on Positive Behavioral Interventions and Supports. I mean, these two are job description twins. (laughs) She Kimberly develops curriculum and instructional materials around so many things, including systems change, strategic planning, capacity building, systems to support wellness, and so much more. As a teacher, she's currently focused on organizational change and adult learning. Well, thanks for being here, ladies. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Megan. It's good to good to be with you today. Yeah. So today, of course, we're focused on um, we're focused on teachers, on educators, and their mental health and well-being at this point um, in the school year. And so, I have to say that at this point in the scheme of things, I'm just about I'm I've read about as much as I can about how I can help myself and the different ways that I can practice self-care in my life. I feel like I've got some good coping strategies, but that I would actually rather not be coping all the time. And I'd like to have some support. I want the system to to support me too, and not just have me supporting myself all the time. So, um, so when we're talking about the different types of support that are available to people, like how, what does a commitment to actually um, examining what those systems are in our schools and figuring out what which ones are working and which ones aren't, what does that look like to actually start the process of systems change, system level change? Well, I, I, I would love for Kimberly to talk a little bit more about this piece because she and Amy Flamini just did this incredible um, 
uh, breakout session during our national PBIS forum. And they talk a lot about that, right? I think everybody's going to gag when they hear self-care, like you know, <laughs> yeah. there's only so much that you can do to, to, to focus on yourself. And, and there is some personal responsibility no, we have absolutely. of taking care of ourselves, right? Yes. Healthy, healthy habits at the individual level. But again, I think what what we've learned in PBIS using the public health model is that the organization needs to um, kind of set the stage for prioritizing staff wellness and, and this notion of what do we do for collective care, mm-hmm. not just self-care? What, how do we yes. create spaces for people to come together and talk, you know, just, just open up dialogue and talk and process what's happened to us. Um, and so I think, I think of one of the first things we can do is kind of that resource mapping and Kimberly and Amy offered that to us during that breakout session, that that's actually a wellness activity. And I'll, I'll let Kimberly talk a little bit more about, about that. Yeah. And, and that's just the world according to Kimberly, Susan, but I would, I mean, if you look at the research on stress and stress, you know, requires both the collective, but also the individual stress response. Like only I get determined, determine what my stress response is. But, you know, Jennifer Moss just wrote this great book on the, the burnout epidemic that Amy talked about in our session. And what she invites us to think about is that burnout requires an organizational response. And so when you look at the formula for workforce stress, it's the level of demands plus the agency or the ability to navigate those demands with some voice and choice. And so why I think resource mapping or initiative mapping provides one of those just underutilized tools for wellness is because it invites us to examine how much are we actually asking educators to do? And, you know, is it George who always says, what are you going to stop doing? And I, I always hear him. I'm like, yes, what are we going to stop doing? Because nobody can sustain this. So for me, that's a perfect antidote to workforce stress. When you look at the literature is let's look at all the stuff we're asking teachers to do. And in that return resource that you worked on, Susan, it's get to the basics. You know, there are things we're doing. We don't even know if they're working. We're not monitoring them with data. Um, Maybe they're not evidence-based for this particular scenario, or maybe they're not evidence-based at all. Um, So I I think that's a great starting point um, for systems. So you've said so many things. So I'm like, I'm trying to catch up. I'm trying to catch up to what you all are saying, because I think there's some really excellent ideas here. So first of all, the book that you mentioned, you, you started to talk about something that sounded like math, that you have to take something and then plus something. And then that's what, what were you saying? <laughs> I get accused of this a lot, Megan. So no, that's okay. I just want to follow it. <laughs> I know, I know. So there's, and Amy brought this book into our work when we were working on our session, but I love it's, if you think of stress, yes. it is, we all have our individual stress response. So yes, yes you know, so to Susan's point, I hear this, if I hear one more person tell me to just breathe, because we can't breathe our way out of this. Yes, there is some, there's a lot of value to um, prioritizing our own well-being. But when you look at the data and the number of people leaving education, yes, an indication of something bigger, much bigger of need and response. And that's, you know, in the book, um, Jennifer Moss wrote, and uh, the burnout epidemic, 
she's inviting us, and I think some of the corporate literature out there would agree that we need a systemic or an organizational response to that. We've got yes. to change our systems, uh, kind of like the antecedents, you know, if you think about it yep. behaviorally, um, and the consequences to really value and prioritize through our behavior, mm-hmm. um, course, well-being and healthy. Yeah, this can't just be an I was reading, I, it's a sentence that has stuck in my mind since I read it. Um, this woman, I cannot recall her name, um, but we linked to her essay. We linked to an essay out in, um, from the, um, from Ed Week, and she said it in there. So check out our Teach by Design article from November. It's in there. She basically was saying, you no amount of yoga, no amount of walking I can do will actually solve a problem that has its root in a system or a structure and the way that we do business in our school. Mm-hmm. And so it's exactly right. Like we can't, we can't like, there's like endless articles written about the amount of stress that educators are under, the number of people that are leaving the profession, the lack of people entering the profession. You can't look at that and say that it's because people aren't taking care of themselves. It has to come. There has to be a solution that comes from the system. And that requires leadership and uh, a commitment to changing a structure within the organization. And so then the next thing that you said was something about resource mapping. And I don't know what that is. (laughs) so tell me what is it and how can I do it do you want to take that one Susan yeah yeah sure it you know so much of what we do in PBIS is activity-based where we bring a group of people together and we have them inventory all the things that they're doing to help support students social emotional and mental health Mm -hmm. and it turns out we do a ton yeah and, and this has gone on way before kind of the COVID era, if you will. We've always burdened teachers with trying to do way too much, which has caused that kind of ongoing stress. Even before COVID, education and, and the field of education has, has been a source of stress for so many teachers because there is so much to do with not the adequate resource, not the adequate support, and even going back into pre-service right? We're not giving teachers the skills that they need to be able to manage classroom behaviors in a, in a very uh, positive or proactive or preventative way. And so what resource mapping allows us to do is get input from the community, right? We want to talk to the teachers. What is it that you're doing in your classroom? And it turns out when we make an inventory of all the things we do to support students, it's way too much. And, and our ability to do anything well is almost zero. Yeah. So yeah. the question then becomes what data is telling us what's working with our kids? And let's focus on one or two things that works well with our kids and put the other things on the back burner for now and forever, hopefully. But at least can we put it on the back burner? Because it's really hard to get us to stop doing things. It's really hard. Well, oh, we've always done that. Oh, we've put so much money into that. Oh yeah. Not making an impact with your students and you're not sure if anybody's doing it with high quality. Like if we're going to invest all this money and all this time, then we should be checking on, are we doing it right? Mm-hmm. And are kids actually getting better as a result? 
Yes. And I don't think we take enough time to do that. So what this um, activity kind of does is point out kind of the flaws in the system that allow us then to make decisions about what are the one or two things we're going to do, and then how are we going to collect data to make sure that when we invest in it, it actually, we do it right, and, mm -hmm. and kids actually get better as a result. That's smart. So who do you have at the table to do that resource mapping? Well, you can resource map around all kinds of things and who yeah. needs to be at the table is who's impacted by whatever that domain. So if it were student literacy, then who in the district and the schools touches student literacy? Let's have them resource map. Let's get people from different schools. Mm -hmm. Talking about adult wellness, let's get district leadership and make sure HR is on district leadership. Because ah, that's smart. And the people who work with employee assistance programs, because there's a rich source of data that it's a naturally occurring data source that informs what time of supports are people accessing? What do we have in our continuum for all, some, and a few adults? Mm -hmm. You know, are there gaps? You know, are people asking for this and our systems don't support this? Mm -hmm. So who, are, who at the district level, at the school level, I would want to see a continuum, a vertical slice of the organization, district and schools, all staff, you know, what about our bus drivers? What about our people who work, our custodians who are working even harder to keep our buildings safe? Mm -hmm. You want, to Susan's point, to get voice that represents your district community. Yes. Yes, Exactly. I also really liked um, you were referencing what are we going to stop doing um, because I was just reading this book um, all about decisions that we make and one of the strategies was to create a stop doing list and um, and so I think it get, kind of gets to that one of the examples that they gave in the book is that there was this uh, some some group in the Navy and they were they were all just like, oh, there's so many things that we have to be doing right now and there's just never enough time. And so they said, what would you stop doing? And they said, would stop painting this ship that we have to paint all the time. And so they actually like looked at why are we doing this? Why do we have to paint it so often? And it was because of the material of the screws that they were using. So they took some time, invested in it and uh, used different materials so that they weren't rusting as often. They only had to paint the thing once. And so it's looking at like, are you doing things maybe as efficiently as you can? Um, is there actually an overlap? There was some, there was a practice that we did here in our organization where we started to look at the meetings that we were attending and it seemed like we always had the same group of people attending all these different meetings and that there was a lot of overlap that would happen sometimes because you would have maybe two extra people that would attend this meeting that didn't attend the other meeting and so they needed to hear the backstory that seven other people in the room had already heard and so there was just like there was an inventory that we did of some meetings to say how can we shuffle some of these things around and do things differently so that we're all attending fewer meetings and maybe we can actually like save some of our own time. So I think that's smart too. The stop things, looking for things that you can stop doing. Yeah. 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 I love the example in um, a school system in Washington state who during COVID staggered arrival time because they had to do temperature checks and it was kind of an all hands on deck. All staff were going to be responsible now for um, a morning greeting where they would do a quick temperature check and, um, and, and, a, and a warm welcome to the school building. Mm -hmm. And it turns out there was so much side benefit to that process of 
that warm greeting, that warm hello. I'm so happy to see you at the same time they're doing the, the COVID kind of protocol. That they decided to, to continue that because yeah. it was it was so, so powerful. Yeah. Um, behavior issues kind of went down. People said, wow, this feels really good that somebody's acknowledging me. They're saying my name, it deepened connections and relationships, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many side benefits. What I appreciate about the story the district recognized the value of it and said, to your point, Megan, we're going to consolidate some of the meetings that we're having because we're there's so many overlapping meetings and we're only going to have, you know, two or three um, uh, meetings that occur, but we're going to protect staff time in the morning so that they do have, they can be outside greeting kids. Mm. So they took you know, it was an organizational design yes. that allowed space and time for the teachers to be able to not to go to the meeting, but instead do this other thing that had huge benefit. So again, that's a really good example of looking at a practice and saying, holy cow, this works. And then having the district come in, recognize the value and say, we're going to take this thing off your plate and allow you to prioritize this practice. I love that. Well, and the other thing that's so great about that is that it saves time, but it uh, saves everyone some time and they don't have to go to a meeting, but they, they get to replace that with something that ultimately was probably pretty rewarding, you know, meeting and greeting all of their students at the beginning of the day, just sets such a better tone for the day than going to any kind of meeting in the morning. So, I mean, I think that's great on a couple different levels. Yeah. Yeah, I think all of these strategies are so critical because like we were saying, we've we've talked, we can hear all day about the things that we can do individually, but I think there, there does feel to me to be a lack of information or at least amplification of the types of strategies that we can do systemically. So hearing about this district in Washington is so great. Um, the other thing I'll other just point out for a second, um, mm -hmm. Kind of going back, Kimberly offered, you know, uh, elevating employee assistance programs through our human resource departments. And again, I think that's really, really important because yeah, while yeah. we're talking staff wellness and we're really thinking maybe at, at, at teacher level, I'm really worried about our leaders mm -hmm. and I'm worried about yeah. their ability to navigate now. And rather than putting all of this redesign on their shoulders, I think we should elevate more of, of our HR department or human resource departments or employee assistance programs or insurance plans that can absolutely contribute to this redesign of the system. And so I just wanted to highlight that yeah. and just call out that um, our leaders are also in, in dire need of, of supports across the cascade of implementation from state to county level, to district level, to school level. And I, I, I think that the organization needs to, to be really paying close attention to that as well. Yeah, definitely. Say more about that. Like, let's talk about that a little bit. It's, um, it's something that I often lose sight of as I'm thinking about this is that I kind of, I would look to leadership to say that they could be the ones that would create this change. And that's a lot of pressure too. There's a lot of that's, it's not their only item on their plate. So what are some of those, like you were saying, having HR included, the employee assistance program, say more about what you mean. Kimberly, I don't know if you want to take that. Well, yes, leadership at the school level might look like showing employees, like modeling it at this you know, school level, because 
I think, um, again, back to Jennifer Moss's article, employees can't be what they can't see. So, and oftentimes I hear from teachers to say, we just need permission. Like we need permission uh, to say, I need a micro break. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I need this. But to your point at the school level, some of this work requires reallocation of resources and things like HR and insurance plans and EAPs, those require district resource allocation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's everyone at the level of the system, but in order to change resource allocation, that has to come at the district level. And I think HR, um, I learned about this from studying what corporate world is doing around workforce wellness. I think it's an overlooked resource in education systems. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, have we thought about, you know, there's a wealth of knowledge, experience, and uh, navigation, if you will, that comes from someone who specializes in human resources. Yes. It's honestly, this is the first time I have heard someone say out loud to consider having someone from HR be included on a team like this. I have, it's not something that I personally have considered. Maybe I'm just late to the game, but I think that's a really excellent tip for people to just ask even like, is our HR person somewhere listening to these conversations? Like, I think that's really smart. Um, the other thing that, uh, we had talked about Kimberly was, um, this idea of micro movements, which was like such a great term that I, that I know that you stole from corporate realms, but I think it's so nice to know that there are actually like systemic changes that you can make at a small, like small little level. So it doesn't have to feel like we're making this giant shift. What might something like that, what might a micro movement look like in systems change? So an example at the school level, um, and I've actually been doing this as someone who works with professional learning, trying, because I'm having to change my organization, um, is micro breaks. Like, so with training, with a six hour training, we used, I used to just do one break, you know, lunch, we do a 10 minute break in the morning, 10 minute break in the afternoon. And then I took an eight hour class for four days and I discovered a new routine (laughs) that I would consider a micro movement. And it's at the top of every hour, school wide, district wide, we're all taking a wellness biology break. And it's anywhere from five to 10 minutes is what I've been playing with, but I found it to be so much more manageable, both as a recipient of that and both as someone at the facilitation end of it. We all need to do that. Yeah. The question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, always to your, your, the book you're reading, the decision, what are you willing to say no to in order to say yes to this? Yeah. 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 But if we say, or if we're saying we value employee wellness and healthy a healthy workforce, our values really drive our scheduling and our time and how we allocate our time. You're not wrong. Yeah, no, absolutely. Last year, when I was talking to some schools about the things that worked well, to your point too, it was, uh, they talked a lot about how they were given the permission to focus on building relationships with their students in a way that they had never been given before. And it made so much of a difference that across the board, that's what people said worked so great in the last year 
was everything that they did to build relationships and trust with the students that they worked with. And so it's it's exactly what you're saying. It's what are you given permission to do and what is the priority that you're giving to the thing that you that matters the most in that moment? Um, yeah, so if if reducing some stress and giving people permission to, you know, give themselves a break is something that's a priority to you. Yeah. Make that school wide. Why not? Mm -hmm. Why not see yeah. what happens in the book that I'm reading? It's called Ooching, which is like, I can't say it without laughing. I can't say it. It's called Ooching. And the thing that's a little bit of like a nuanced difference between them is that, um, it's something that you can try because you're not too sure how it's going to work out school-wide, like if you take it to everyone. So it's just like a way that you can try it out with a small group of people and just gather some more information, you know? So if I wanted to do something and suggest that teachers do this and like take a break at the top of every hour, I might grab a couple of different classrooms and say, give it a try, see how it feels. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to debrief how that, how that felt. And if it made a big difference, great. Now I've got three additional teachers that are now ready to talk to the whole school about what was so great about doing that and what kind of difference it made in their teaching and, uh, mm -hmm. and overall well-being. So it's the same kind of idea that you don't have to make this like no. informed fully, like every question answered type of decision. You can actually test drive some of it, you know, throughout the year and see how it goes and make these changes as you go. And that's a really great strategy, Megan, to start small, right? Start with a couple of teachers, test it out, try it out. And that really helps when the teachers can come back to the group and say, holy yeah. cow, not only do I feel better, but behavior issues are decreasing and holy yes. cow, instructional time has increased. And it's only bit like, all I have to do is take 10 minutes at the top of the hour and our class decided as a community that a nature walk was kind of the best thing for us to do. Whereas another teacher might say, well, we decided that we would listen to music for 10 minutes and, and you know, somebody could pick the, the playlist or a couple kids got together. And I mean, so there's really simple things. I think we have to think of mental health and wellness as a full continuum. So many of us think of it as only getting help in the space of an office by a clinician when it's these warm welcomes it's listening to music together it's it it it's engaging with one another it's taking some deep belly breaths it's taking a walk for 10 minutes and this is anchored so much in the in the the science of of um of the brain right the and what 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 the researchers tell us especially right now is that our brains are really tired and we actually need time and space to be able to to take a moment and it, and how important movement is right now that that actually helps neurological integration which will help with learning so everything is so interconnected um and i think we're just beginning to unpack this in the space of the classroom but if we can message to teachers that it just takes these like really small moves in your classroom that could have a really big impact. I think that'll go a long way in generating this kind of redesign of the system. Yes, I agree. So uh, what would be as kind of this last little takeaway, if I'm listening to the two of you, I'm on board, I'm in, I'm all in on this idea, right? What is something that I could do in the next week that would 
do be something that could just start to get either my school committed to thinking about this on the larger systems level or a group of us teachers or the district, what's a thing that I can do that I have some initiative over to try and affect this kind of change and get the ball rolling in my school? I think there are a couple, a couple of things. Well, one of the things that comes to mind simply because we just came off of our national PBIS forum, mm -hmm. we recorded every breakout session. And what I've been yes. telling teams to do is that if you think this is a good idea, if you're really worried about your staff, what if you did a little watch party of maybe 10 or 15 minute segment of one of the recordings? Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, dialogue about what you heard, what you could possibly lean into, um, what, you know, what are some of the small things that have been tested and tried with other schools, like the Washington school district I just yeah. described, right? I mm -hmm. mean, there's so many great implementation examples. The other thing we should be leaning in and really listening to our teachers. They, they absolutely know the way forward. They know what needs to change about our system. And it's time for our leaders to do learning walks and just talk to our teachers and do maybe some informal, really simple surveys and start there with some ideas. I love that um, a superintendent here in Richmond City took the time to do exactly that. And he ended up making a commitment not to introduce anything new this year, that they were just, you know, they were going to kind of going back to that, we're going to stick with basics. Mm -hmm. And the other thing he heard is that teachers needed a little bit of a fall break and he gave them a couple of days off last week, Amazing. which hopefully will make all the difference in the world just so that, you know, because everybody's saying we are May tired, right? It is only October <laughs> and we are like May that. tired. Like um, and so I love that he listened to them and he just didn't say, you know, take a yoga class. He right. made a commitment to, and, and, and knew that it was going to, you know, that many families were going to struggle trying to find care for their children, but said, you know what, our teachers, they, they need this in order to really survive the year. And so I just really appreciate that as an example. Yeah. yeah. Kimberly, what do you got? What do I got? That's hard to follow, but I would, I mean, I, I feel like we need to start to normalize wellness. We, our culture tends to put pride on how many hours we worked and how mm -hmm. our do list is. And I just wonder if as leaders, we start to model again and normalize wellness. And to Susan's point, ask people, you know, stress and stress response are unique to the individual. And teachers, educators, when you look at some of the research that's available, they don't want us to, you know, well-intended kind of yoga and all these things that are yeah. But it's after hours, it's yeah. we feel compulsory and it's like compulsory activities that we must um, attend, which then impacts our well-being negatively because you're removing the autonomy of how I use my personal time. Mm -hmm. so once we ask teachers, you know, look at the buckets. Okay, what are some micro movements, small things we can start tomorrow? And then what are some long-term things? And embed those into the day. So start your meetings and your mornings, like Susan mentioned, with check-ins with the adults. Um, explore some micro breaks throughout the day. Look at your teaming structure alignment. And if you've got, you know, Megan and Susan on five teams, that's, that's too much. You know, these little things. And then the other bucket is 
long term you know what would it look like and sound like if you felt like you were able to manage you know what would the workload look like what would the level of agency that goes back to the district leadership team what resources would you like to see added to our employee assistance program so I think you have to ask the individuals and not make assumptions and get in front of it because there is a little research that says, we want you to kind of predict, know that, yes, this is really hard and don't just come in with the reactionary, but listen to us and organize a response as a prevention method. I love all of that. I'm in, I'm all in. <laughs> Um, well, Susan and Kimberly, we're going to link to all of the things that you all have um, offered up as resources in the description. So folks can feel free to check those out and explore more on their own. Um, I really appreciate you all taking the time today to talk about this really important project and this process that people are about to endeavor on. Um, and I hope that you all are finding great ways of taking care of yourselves too. So thanks. Thank you, Thank Megan. You. Thanks, Megan. This is Extra Instruction, the segment where we get to ask our experts one last question about this work of making schools safer and more inclusive. With extra instruction, it's our hope that you'll get one last piece of wisdom to carry with you into your own schools and classrooms. Today's extra instruction question is, can you tell us about a time where you noticed that it was a school's or a district's PBIS implementation that had an impact on a student or a team or a teacher? Gosh, there's, there's so many I'm having trouble um... <laughs> thinking of one in particular, I, I, I think, um, you know, one of, one of our favorite things to do is to go visit schools who are implementing PBIS. And we do a walkthrough and we get to talk to teachers, we get to talk to students, we get to talk to leaders, we get to talk to all the staff. It's an amazing experience. And I can remember that I was doing a learning walk at an elementary school and you know, it always the questions always come up about can you help me with this one student, right? Oh, um, right. And so, you know, in doing so, I was talking. I remember I was talking to a teacher, we were talking about this particular student, and and you know, just having so many um, concerns and behavioral issues that were interrupting the classroom environment. And so, we took a long time to talk about the entire class and. Um, classroom and how to set up a really positive, proactive classroom. And she was amazing. She, she, you know, taking notes, we went through the tiered fidelity inventory, you know, it was extraordinary. And then I came back about six months later and the very child that she had described to me as having so many um, behavioral concerns and just needing so much support and attention actually was in a tie welcoming me into the school. Oh my God, the whole school? The whole school. And he was going to be in charge of giving me the learning walk for the, for the next round of learning walks that we were doing. I love that. And I, I actually, you know, bumped into her and she said that because we focused on the system, because it wasn't just about the one child, it was really about how do we organize the system to the tier yeah. one Components and how do we use that proactive approach and how do I pay attention to all the amazing things that child is doing 
five times more frequently than I'm, you know, than I'm focusing on error correction, like all those kernels of evidence-based practices she implemented and she implemented with support from her coach, from her team. And as a result, this, this student was beaming with pride about a school, was beaming with pride about showing me every aspect of what they were doing around PBIS implementation and had wanted to wear a tie to show how proud he was of himself. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those moments that even now when I talk about it, gives me chills. It just yes. has such a dramatic impact on his life and the teacher's life. Yes, I see that. That's wonderful. Kimberly, what do you got? I think one of the latest things that comes to mind is a district that I've worked with and they've just done such a brilliant job of not from the very go, not launching into let's get the schools, you know, provided with training and then we're implementing. They've done a lot of the work at the district level. Mm-hmm. And two days before the school year started this year, they start a little earlier. I got a really early phone call from the lead there. And she's like, I don't know what we're going to do. We've got a mandate that we've got to wear masks. And we don't have necessarily community agreement around, you know, about the importance of wearing masks or the non-importance. There was just disagreement. And we're, we sat there and we talked about, you know, all the things that were happening and what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, wait a minute, we know what to do. We need a matrix. What does mask wearing look like? Yes. <laughs> Settings. What does it look like? So there's different CDC guidelines. Can we infuse those? Um, what about coaches for sports? Does that look different? What about bus drivers and transportation for bus? And she said, okay, okay, okay. And I go, but it can't come from you. We've got to get community, a slice of the community together. So she went to families and she went to students that had different, um, you know, opinions, perspectives. And she went to the coaches in the district. She went to bus drivers and principals and and got a nice kind of slice of the community, if you will, to say, what, what would it look like and sound like to you if we were coming together as a community in a school We have differences about wearing masks. We have safety guidelines we have to follow. We have some people who have um, reasons why they can't wear a mask. How do we bring that to a teaching matrix to define it? And we've been working on relationship building as a focus. And one of the skill sets we've unpacked is empathy. So how do we build empathy skills that help us practice empathy on a daily basis so that if I meet someone in the hallway who maybe isn't wearing a mask, there's the skill sets, you know, taking perspective, withholding judgment, all of those things that make up empathy. Okay. Okay. So she got that done. She had, she got feedback, put it in a matrix, sent it out to principals, asked for immediate feedback. Okay. We're good. They made posters for all the schools. They um, made little things. If if students wanted to wear something that says, I, I can't wear a mask, you know, whatever, so that we could, you know, okay, if you see someone with this, what does that conversation look like? What do you do to keep, you know, to make yourself feel comfortable and also to honor this person's perspective? And I just thought it was brilliant. Like it was just the, we didn't go off and do something new. No, And we used all of the best practices about, to Susan's earlier point, listening to one another, Yes, that space, a little teeny bit of space to see, um, you know, 
And then to your point, let's try it out. We've got a launch in two days. <laughs> yeah. Together. How's this working for us? Are there tweaks that we need to make? And mm -hmm. for me, that's a fresh story, but yes. just embedded so much in terms of hearing from everyone across, you know, the district. It's such a good example of how this is truly just a framework that you can plug in all different facets of the school day and the decisions that you need to make and the things that you need to implement. It's just a framework there to guide all of this work and that so many of the things that we do really fit so nicely in there. Thanks for sharing your stories.